What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Scott Lynn is the founder of Masterworks, which allows anyone to purchase and trade shares in iconic artworks. In this conversation, we discuss the high-end art market, importance of scarcity, fractional ownership, digital art, Beeple, and NFTs. I really enjoyed this conversation with Scott, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsor. First up is Exodus. They're an absolute game changer in the crypto wallet space. And we've teamed up to offer an exclusive discount for you as listeners of this podcast. You can go sign up for their wallet today at exodus.com slash pomp. Again, exodus.com slash pomp. I've had JP, the founder and CEO, come on the podcast before. I'm a big fan of what they're building. It's super, super slick, very well-designed, very user-friendly. If you're looking for a crypto wallet, you should go and use Exodus. Go to exodus.com slash pomp today. Absolute no-brainer for both newcomers and crypto heavyweights. Go sign up at exodus.com slash pomp. Next up is Remote. Remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global full-time employees and contractors. We take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus on growing your business. If you have a remote team, you must use Remote. You can learn more about Remote and their new Remote for Startups program at remote.com. Again, if you have any sort of remote team, you should go sign up at remote.com. Remote makes it easy to manage your remote workforce. Lastly, don't forget that I write a daily letter to over 140,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy to understand language while sharing opinions on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Scott. I hope you enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Scott here with me. Thank you so much for coming back, sir. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's just jump right into the topic of the day. Uh, NFTs seem to uh, be absolutely taking the world by storm, but uh, I want to talk about everything from the art investor seat. I think there's been a lot of conversation from the artists and how the artists can make more money and how great this is for artists. But uh, obviously there's another side of the market in the art investor. And so let's maybe start at the top with just the macro argument for like why people should be looking at art in general, you know, whether it's physical art or digital art, what is your kind of thought process um, around that argument? I mean, we, we tell investors to think about this asset class as it's one of the oldest asset classes. Sotheby's and Christie's have been around 250 years, um, but historically it's only been limited to the ultra wealthy. So a lot of these paintings sell for between a million dollars and hundred million dollars. So it really hasn't been that accessible. Uh, Masterworks is the first company to really securitize a painting, sell shares in a painting so people could actually invest in them. Um, but if you look at the investment characteristics, I mean, contemporary art post-World War II, has outperformed the S&P. Um, it's an uncorrelated asset class, meaning that it's a, it's a great tool to diversify a portfolio. So we think art has a role in, in almost any investor's portfolio. Historically, it just, it just hasn't been possible. 
Yeah. And so when you start to dig in, let's start with the uh, the kind of traditional art market. Uh, you talked a little bit about the outperformance of the stock market. Um, how does that market look, uh, including the securitizations that you guys are doing today? Are there uh, limitations uh, by country, by uh, kind of wealth status, accreditation? Just what does that look like at the moment? I mean, most investment grade paintings are, are in excess of probably a million dollars in purchase price, right? So that so qualitatively, the, the way to think about the art market on a global basis is it's really a market where, where you have ultra wealthy people living around the world, trading one to $100 million paintings with each other. And that that is the $60 billion a year that is the transaction volume in the art market now. Um, so obviously up until Masterworks, there, there really hasn't been a way to invest in these paintings um, but but we see that changing. And I, I know we're going to talk about NFTs, but I think that's another exciting part of the art market. Yeah. And so today, uh, through something like Masterworks, uh, basically anyone with, um, you know, 100 bucks, $25,000, whatever it is, they can come in and they can actually participate in these traditional pieces. And really, your guys' goal is to not only get access uh, up and uh, kind of reduce friction, but also too, uh, I know that you guys had this Banksy piece that you sold and there was a, a pretty nice return there. Just walk through maybe like that as an example as to how Masterworks itself works. Yeah, so basically, we we go out, we buy we buy a great painting, and in that case, a Banksy painting. I think the title of that painting was uh, was Mona Lisa. Um, we we raise capital, so we sell shares uh, to fund the the purchase of that painting, and then after we sell the painting, which in that case was very fast, it was roughly uh, I think one year later, uh, we distribute proceeds to to investors. So in that case, we sold the painting quickly. I think it was a thirty seven percent return out of fees. Um, that was a great outcome for investors. You know, generally, we tell people to think about about investing in art as a long term hold. Um, seven years, ten years, uh, really takes a takes a while to generate returns. But we also have secondary markets for people about trading shares and great paintings. So that's that's an alternative for people that can't can't wait the full time. For sure. And what are you seeing in the traditional art market around prices, given the macro environment, kind of all the quantitative easing? Are prices going up as more yeah. and more people look for store value assets? I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. So we, I mean, historically, we've, we've always talked about art as an asset class as just an outperforming asset class. Like it, in general, again, for art created after World War II, uh, it's it's outperformed the S&P by, I think, 150% from 1995 through, through 2020. So it's this really interesting asset class regardless. I think today we have a lot of people who are just saying, hey, governments around the world are printing money. We think inflation is going to happen. Uh, we're interested in real assets, and we're interested in art specifically. So we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of interest. And, and we actually did a uh, uh, we 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 co-published a report with City, I think, in December of 2020, where City analyzed the, the the correlation between real interest rates and art prices. And and not surprisingly, as interest rates go down, you see art prices go up. So it, you know, it's a conversation that we have with investors every single day. There's there's tons of uh, tons of interest and. Art as a is uh, an inflation hedge, for lack of a better term, right now. I am uh, I am not going to be surprised if you told me there was a big overlap between people who believe they're macroeconomists and uh, art investors <laughs> that are uh, are speculating. Um, let's talk about NFTs. Uh, obviously, everyone uh, seems to have woken up to this. Uh, whether it was Beeple's kind of you know sixty nine million dollars sale at Christie's, uh, now there's this artist packed at uh, Sotheby's, um, and then obviously all of the volume that's going through some of these other exchanges that are kind of digital native. What's your take on you know what's happening? Uh, what questions do you have? What uh, concerns or, or what are you excited about? 
Yeah, I mean, look, we I think we've gone through this whole process of that everyone's gone through, which is like, what is going on to to kind of trying to rationalize it in our in our own head. Uh, you know, when the when the Beeple thing first happened, to be totally transparent, I mean, I I I was having conversations with lots of friends where I thought it was just this price fixing thing, right? Like someone was pretending to buy this digital work of art for $70 million and, you know, people is actually being paid 69.9 million in a back room uh, to, to try to, you know, create this market for digital art. But after talking to, to Christie's and the people that work there, it, it seems like that definitely wasn't the case. I think there were more than 30 bidders uh, registered on that work. None of them were known at the auction house prior to the auction. Um, it, it seemed, you know, you saw the videos of him uh, watching the sale. Like it, it definitely seems like that was, a real transaction, and it seems like like digital art and NFTs are um, are here at least for for the for the short term. Um, so we you know we find it really interesting from from a lot of different ways. Like one of the things that our investors ask ask us a lot is, hey, we're we're really interested in this blue chip segment of the market, which outperforms the S and P, has low loss rates. You know that's a that's a great um, allocation for our portfolio. But how do we get access to stuff that's more speculative? And I think this is an interesting way for investors to speculate in the art market, which hasn't frankly been been available before, right? Like there's never been a segment of the art market that you can make returns like, like you've seen with, with NFTs. I mean, I think that also comes with a lot of risk and I, you know, I don't know how to think about these prices and, and everything right now, but, uh, but it's definitely a, a, the most speculative segment of the, of the art market right now. Uh, you talked a little bit about like the people who were registered for the Christie's auction, almost all, if not all of them were unknown to the auction house. And so do you look at this as basically, this isn't so much uh, the art market, you know, is evolving. This is literally just net growth to art in general and this kind of digital natives, both the platforms, the artists and the art investors. Yeah, with one exception. So we we do know. I mean, I, I know of two very well known artists right now who who um, you know I can't say their names, but they're working on NFTs. So there's there's artists themselves have clearly woken up to 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 what's what's going on. Um, I think collectors are still divided, right? Like the people that are investing in or buying NFTs are not the same people they're investing in or buying. Uh, blue chip arts. I think those are two two different universes. Maybe those Venn diagrams overlap at some point, um, but but right now they're pretty distinct. Yeah. And so when you start to look at this, uh, I know that there's still uh, kind of a moving target, right? You know, are, do these prices make sense? Uh, what are the use cases? But when you look at it, maybe what's like the rationalization you're telling yourself, right? So if I had to say, hey, be the NFT bull, uh, how do you think about it? And, and what do you say to uh, people who are skeptical? Yeah, so I think this is a very hard question, um, and you know, <laughs> if 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 we go back to uh, to basic fundamentals of you know how markets are created and how markets are sustained, all markets have to have some sort of framework in which they they operate. I was actually having this conversation with our general counsel earlier, and you know that the the art market there's there's a clear understanding between institutions and collectors. Um, around what you know, what's important, what's historically significant, which artists did what things first, um, you know, and they they sort of have these places in history, what we refer to as cultural significance, and there's a correlation between cultural significance and price. And many of these artists also are are you know they're deceased or they've been painting for for decades, and you have this long track record of representation between galleries and prices at auction, etc. So there's there's this entire framework of which you can establish price. Um, I think for me, the question is with, with, with the Beeple sale in particular, 
you know, it is what happened culturally significant. And I think you can you can argue that in different ways. Um, and and is that is that is that precedent for the artist and for future prices of the artist? Um, you know, we we see this with lots of artists, right? There's tons of artists that that we see in the art market all the time that go from very unknown artists to having I wouldn't say a seventy million dollar sale, but maybe a a one million dollar sale, and then everyone's asking, is this now a million dollar artist? Um, so you know that that's that's not uncommon. I just think the magnitude of the seventy million dollars is what is what really shocked everyone. And so in that uh, kind of historical example where there is that $1 million sale and then people start asking, is this a million dollar artist? How do you normally think through that, right? Like, are, are there certain frameworks uh, or data points that you look at to, to kind of determine, uh, is this a kind of outlier sale or has the artist actually, um, you know, increased the value, if you will, of, uh, of all their pieces? Yeah, it's an excellent question. So if you if you look at artists in the secondary market, and the secondary market is really, you think of the art market divided into two different segments, primary market, which is, where artists are painting new paintings and selling them through galleries and the money goes back to the artist. In the secondary market where paintings are resold over time between, between multiple collectors, um, generally in the secondary market, most of these artists have long track records. So you're analyzing similar paintings that have sold historically, how prices have increased over time. And with certain, certain artists like, like Basquiat, for example, I mean, Basquiat's prices shockingly have gone up roughly 18% a year for almost 20 years. Right? It's just a very predictable market that, that continues to increase. With artists that, that don't have that track record, usually what you're asking yourself is how culturally significant is that artist? And, and I would say there's not a clear definition of cultural significance. Cultural significance to us means three different things. One, who, who, who is that artist exhibited with? Like, have they been associated with other great artists? Two, what institutions collect that artist? What museums collect that artist? And then three, how global is the demand for that artist? Um, you know, but it's hard to, to apply that definition of cultural significance to, to what we're seeing in the NFT space. Yeah. If you had to make a guess as to how the cultural significance can be applied, like that filter, that perspective, what would you, where would you start with the NFTs? Is it just trying to figure out like who owns uh, this artist who's promoted them? What podcasts have they done? Like, just how would you try to figure that out? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I guess that's right. I mean, I think, I think you, you would almost look at like Google trend data, right? Like what, what's, what's the, what's the, um, the share of voice for a particular artist in kind of the digital ecosystem? How is that share increasing or decreasing? Um, the Beeple example is, is somewhat unique and that's, that's really almost the first very well-known example of an NFT sale, right? So the, that in itself kind of has cultural significance, um, or I, I think does have cultural significance. Um, but yeah, I think I think since since this art is digital and really all of the transactions are, are digital, you sort of have to redefine what what is cultural significance. Yeah. And it also feels like in the uh, in the traditional world, a lot of the uh, data points that you described uh, in terms of uh, where they've been exhibited, what institutions are collecting, um, that all seems to be very kind of analog world, right, which would make sense for traditional art in, in kind of the analog world. Uh, before we started, we were talking about uh, what some folks are doing in the NFT space is they're trying to buy digital art, and then they're going to essentially uh, display it in these digital worlds, these digital museums or, or, or whatever. And so uh, while that is not prevalent today, if that does become prevalent, it's almost a, a digital recreation of a lot of the same um, you know, kind of data points, if you will, right? In terms of uh, the, the institutions or the digital museums that are collecting may become a, a signal as well. 
Yeah, I think I think that's really fascinating. And we, I mean, we're thinking through the same things, right? Like, what are the use cases for NFTs? And you you mentioned one, which is digital museums, which I hadn't heard of that one. I think that's I think that's super interesting. The other is just you know how how do you have devices actually display NFTs in homes so people can you know outside of a laptop kind of consume the art. Um, you know, the other thing that I've wondered a lot about is how do artists' copyrights work with with NFTs or do they work with NFTs? Um, I think that's really interesting, right? Like the the idea that maybe anyone could consume an NFT if there is a fee. Um, is you know is there some some sort of like brokering or sale of a copyright of an NFT to to a marketplace of buyers? Um, I think that's really interesting as well. So it's uh, super early days. I mean, we're we're interested in it. Uh, it's very hard to tell where where it goes from here. Um, but it does seem like it could be a new segment of the art market that people really haven't haven't thought that much about. And when you think about copyright, unpack that a little bit more in terms of how you think about copyrights in the uh, legacy art market and then what you're thinking about in this uh, kind of digital art market. Yeah, so many people don't don't realize this, but if we if we buy a painting at Masterworks, let's say we buy a $25 million Basquiat, we don't actually own the copyright to that painting. Uh, that's owned by the Artist Foundation. So independent of, of ownership, the copyright is something that's that's separate and distinct. So I, you know, I how copyrights have been licensed historically and how that whole industry works is pretty pretty antiquated. Uh, most most people that own copyrights, they basically generate revenue. Was they you know they find people that are violating the copyrights, they hire an attorney to go after the person, they negotiate, they settle, um, and that's that's how they make money. Um, it seems like to me there could be could be some interesting you know correlation between NFTs and, and copyrights here that could could make more sense. Yeah, and, and it almost feels like in some weird way, uh, one of the reasons why artists are so excited about NFTs, it appears, is because uh, they essentially can code into the tokens that they'll get a, uh, a royalty stream, right, kind of a 10 or 20% uh, on each future uh, sale of their piece. And so copyright may be kind of intertwined in that in some way. Uh, maybe it's you know a little different uh, than it is in the traditional market, but it's a way for them to at least monetize uh, much better the secondary market than they have uh, as a way today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. The, you know, the other thing that, that we've just been thinking a lot about relative to NFTs is this, and I guess it's almost, you know, theoretical, just this concept of scarcity. So we, you know, we, we fundamentally know that in the art market, one of the things that drives returns is scarcity. And the example that I always, always like to use with people is Jackson Pollock. So, you know, Pollock during his lifetime painted all these drip paintings, many of which are $100 million paintings today. Um, but throughout history, after he died, all of those paintings were, were essentially donated to institutions, except for what I think are 21 paintings now. So out of those 21, there's only a couple left that are great paintings. Most are I wouldn't say bad examples, but B or C examples, but the B or C examples are selling for $20 million, $30 million, $40 million, because if you want a Jackson Pollock drip painting, that's that's all that's left. So I do think what, what's happened here is, is digital art combined with blockchain has created this element of scarcity, which is, is really interesting. And historically, that's that's what's driven art prices as well. Yeah. And I, I guess the big piece that people don't understand also about the traditional art market is uh, kind of the appraisal process uh, or what I'll call the, the infrastructure around art. So most people think of a market as just there's the artist, there's the investor, the buyer, uh, and that's pretty much it. Maybe just touch on a little bit, you know, how you guys leverage some of that infrastructure, the appraisals, um, and then how, if any thoughts around, you know, how that translates into uh, the digital art market. 
Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, so that the easiest way that I tell people to think about how artwork is valued is to, to think about real estate, um, which most people are familiar with. So if you buy a house, you generally get an appraisal before you get a mortgage on a house. So art, art is the exact same. You go to major appraisal firms that appraise paintings and they appraise paintings because for most of these great artists, there's similar paintings that are selling reasonably frequently, I call it at least once a year. And they can kind of look at the trends and those prices of similar paintings over time and, and arrive at a value. Um, you know, with, with, the, with NFTs, I don't know how that works, right? Because you have such a short time period, there, there really isn't, isn't a history of comparables to, um, uh, to value something. But the, the thing that is interesting, like the thing that's most interesting to me about the Beeple sale was the number of bidders, right? Because you have two bidders on a painting that goes to $70 million, you can say, oh, there's two people that are crazy. You know, <laughs> here you, you, had, you had 30 people and that, I mean, 30 bidders on anything in the art world is unheard of, right? You don't have 30 bidders on a $25 million Basquiat, right? Like you might have six bidders if it's a, if it's a really great example and there's a lot of demand for a painting, but you never, you never have 30. So, I mean, the depth of bidding for that, for that, that work in general is, is super interesting and does indicate that there's, there's real value there, at least at a minimum to those 30 people. Yeah. And when you think about that, uh, I don't want to ask you to speculate too much, but just why do you think it brought so many more people than, you know, uh, kind of traditionally it would? Is it just it's the first one? And so naturally people all want to kind of be a part of it or, or is there some other reason? I think it's the I think it's the yeah the first mover dynamic. You know, I mean, yeah. you, you know, I guess I guess that so the, the optimist would say it's a first mover dynamic. The, the cynic would say whoever whoever bought the work owns 100 other works by people. And, you know, he just marked the market for all, all of the other works that he owns. Um, could be both, who, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, I'm very, very interested to see what the people pieces start to do in the secondary market now, uh, given such a high price point, right? Do, do they actually materially move up or, uh, or not? Um, when you think about masterworks in the business today, uh, obviously there is a ton of interest uh, that has kind of increased because of the macro environment and, and asset inflation um, and, the, and the desire to uh, use that store of value through art. Uh, are you also seeing or feeling any kind of increase in just traditional art because of NFTs? Like almost like a, a Streisand effect where people are talking more and more about art in general. And so it's uh, also bleeding into the traditional market. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we, our membership team has hundreds of calls a day with, with investors who are interested in masterworks. And I mean, almost all of those calls now are, are, you know, have some, some NFT question or comment. I think it's funny that like, to me, it's amusing because like the person asking the question doesn't really know what they're talking about. The person on our membership team doesn't really know what they're talking about. So it's kind of like, you know, the game of telephone that you play when you're a child where like people just start saying things and it doesn't really mean anything in the end. Um, but, but definitely it's generated a huge amount of interest in art and investing in art. Yeah. And then uh, we've talked a lot about traditional art. And I think for most of this, we've been kind of referring to physical paintings or, or uh, other types of art. Um, what about sculptures? You've got a, a great piece there uh, kind of over your head, but um, how do you think that is affected? Is that happen a lot of the same things that you see with paintings um, or any uh, specific differences that are worth calling out? You know, so, so generally speaking, at least in, in a traditional art sense, the, the most investable segment of art from a medium perspective are, are paintings. Um, if an artist is a sculptor, meaning if their main medium is sculpture, then, then generally um, sculpture appreciates similarly, similarly if they're an important artist. Like this is an artist named John Chamberlain, who was the first artist sort of in, in mid-century America to use 
reuse found objects in a, in a sculptural form. Um, but, you know, mostly we tell investors to think about paintings. Generally, drawings and prints don't appreciate at the same rate as paintings. And again, a lot of that just comes back to scarcity. You know, you think about an artist like Picasso, I, I use this, this stat a lot where a lot of people will say, uh, you know, I own a Picasso, I have a Picasso. Picasso created 60,000 objects in his lifetime. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of bad Picasso out there. There's, there's a very narrow amount of, of good Picasso, which is super rare and continues to appreciate really rapidly. Um, but there's, there's a lot that's just, that's just not as important. How do people determine what's good and bad uh, in terms of Picasso, right? Because I think people who are unfamiliar with the art market would say, well, isn't it all Picasso, right? Like if he's such a genius, uh, this should it all be great. Is it the way it looks? Is it uh, some other sort of hierarchical uh, framework people have applied? Is it the appraisers? How, how does that get determined? Yeah, for, for an artist like Picasso, it's really, it goes back to this cultural significance comment, right? Like how is art history determined? What portion of his work is most impactful, most significant, and, and, and you know, what is least impactful or least significant? And any artist has, you know, they have true masterpieces, Picasso Guernica, for example, you know, that he spent years painting the painting. Um, that, that was one of his masterpieces that was recognized in, in his lifetime. Um, so, I, you know, it really depends on the artist and the work, but usually they're, they're really great masterworks. They were recognized in their lifetime as a masterwork. They spent, you know, years on them. Um, very different than like a, a napkin drawing that he, he might he might otherwise do. That, uh, that makes sense. Uh, what's been the most shocking thing you've seen in the NFTs so far? Because right? I know you're paying attention. I know you're trying to kind of figure it out alongside the rest of us. But just uh, coming from the art world, like what's been the most egregious, shocking thing? Well, I think the, I think the most shocking thing is actually is actually positive, right? Like we we were super skeptics in the in the very beginning of this. I mean, I I, I was one hundred percent convinced that the Christie sale was just fabricated. So the most the most shocking thing to me was to find out that it wasn't. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of coming full full circle um, with NFTs, and I you know I do I think a lot of these technologies you know independent of art, I'm in a been starting technology companies for 20 years and my passion, you know, before art is really tech. And I think a lot of these technologies tend to kind of emerge, have a lot of hype, attract a lot of early adopters, die off for five or 10 years, then all of a sudden there's a resurgence and, you know, there starts to become mainstream adoption. So I do think that could be the case here, right? Like we could be in the ultra hype phase, which is bringing in a lot of early adopters Startups will will start. They will raise. They'll raise money. They'll build products around NFTs, etc. And then ten years from now, or fifteen years from now, you, you start to get mainstream mainstream adoption. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I we've we've just been we've been surprised with with this in general. I think. For sure. Uh, and then talk to me a little bit about kind of what's been going on the Masterworks uh, platform itself in terms of the traditional art. Uh, have you seen um, specific pieces that people are really interested in or uh, anything that you guys have purchased recently uh, that kind of stood out? I mean, our, you know, our business is just exploding. So last year we raised over hundred million dollars. You know, this year, uh, you know, we're on track to raise three or 400 million, maybe, maybe more. Um, th there is, there is huge interest in general, I think, just because most investors have have totally exited fixed income. They're sitting on a bunch of cash. They're concerned about inflation. They're interested in real assets generally, um, but but you know what what are real assets? I mean, I guess real assets are real estate. That's not that interesting from a return perspective. Maybe collectibles, um, but within collectibles, art's kind of ninety percent of the market, right? Like arts. A sixty billion dollar a year market. So we're seeing we're seeing real interest from very sophisticated investors 
uh, coming into these vehicles and we're buying a one to $25 million painting every, every week now, basically. Um, but it has, it has been very interesting to see allocators who historically are, are regarded as some of the smartest people in the alt space buying directly into these vehicles for, for their own funds or, or you know, themselves. So that's going to be one of my questions is how much of it's retail versus some of the institutional type investors. And it sounds like you guys have really kind of cracked into the uh, institutional world, but also still have a lot of uh, retail usage. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that today, 95% is retail. I think by the end of this year, 70% will be retail, 60% will be retail. Like we're, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing managed money, broadly speaking, come, coming into these vehicles much faster than anticipated for all of those reasons. Yeah, I'm waiting for uh, the headline that says Masterworks, you know, securitizes NFT with uh, Steve, Co <laughs> Steve Cohen's participation, right? <laughs> so, some yeah. sort of, uh, of crazy headline of, uh, of the whole art world coming together. Um, what, uh, what, when you think through uh, kind of demographic wise, uh, are there certain things that you see on Masterworks? Is it more young people, older people, uh, maybe geography wise, uh, certain areas that, uh, that people come from? Yeah, I mean we're so you know we're we're a regulated business. So all of our all of our offerings are filed with the SEC as public offerings. Um, our sales team is regulated by FINRA. Our marketing today is only only within the U.S. So we're only marketing to U.S. investors. That that doesn't mean that we don't support international investors. I think fifteen percent of the investor base is international now, but we're not we're not really reaching out to anyone outside of the U.S. Um, so the demand today that we have is is primarily from from us um in terms of demographics you know it's really it's really all over the map i mean I, you know we we have people investing from ira accounts so generally they're older um you know we have younger people investing in these in these vehicles too we're now having a lot more people like when we started the business we weren't really seeing people who self-identified with the art market who are collectors investing in the vehicles we're starting to to see that today um so there's really not any any rhyme or reason to who's who's on the platform we're kind of attracting everyone at this point yeah that's awesome uh and then last question for you is on the nft side uh is there anything that you've seen outside of people that's really kind of caught your attention and you're spending a lot of time on whether it's an artist a specific type of uh sale or drop or anything i mean we we are i can't i can't unfortunately talk about any of them because they're, they're with a couple of of uh of well-known artists who, who want to keep it quiet but i mean most of the activity that, that we're getting are from artists that we sell on the platform or artists who we're friendly with um, that are interested in NFTs. They're not sure what to do. I mean, they see an artist, you know, selling a, selling a, a digital work for $70 million. They think, you know, that, that could be me. Um, so we're, we're trying to, uh, I guess, advise or potentially partner with, with those artists to, to help them kind of navigate the NFT space. Figure it out. That uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, have you bought any NFTs? Do you want to buy any <laughs> NFTs? I'm not smart enough to buy NFTs. Like. <laughs> Don't don't worry you you me and everybody else. I feel like uh, uh, the one that gets me is uh, NBA Top Shot, right? It's like the art. Okay, like it, you know, it's a digital version of the art market. But uh, owning the LeBron layup from the you know random game on Wednesday night in the third quarter, uh, that's the one I probably don't understand. <laughs> I know. I kind of I I feel I feel like for the first time ever, I'm like you and I are old. Like it's I don't know I don't know when that happened, but it happened at some point. So, all right, well, uh, we're going to meet up in our digital museums one day and look at all of our digital art uh, while we have our uh, Oculuses on and there's real art on the walls and uh, we'll have the cognitive dissonance of going back and forth between the two. <laughs> yeah, I can't, can't wait for that. <laughs> 
Awesome, Scott. Listen, when, where can we send people to find you on the internet or find out more about Masterworks? Yeah, w, uh, www.masterworks.io. Just uh, click uh, request access. Mention that they um, they they you know saw us on your show, and we'll help them skip the wait list and create an account. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thank you so much. We will, uh, we've done it once before. We will definitely do it again. So uh, just keep it up. And I'm a big fan and uh, best of luck. Thanks. Good to see you.